0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, TrinitySpartanburg.com. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Back in the book of Galatians. Hey, Ben, you're back there. Could you start the, uh, the live stream? I think it should just be obvious. Good. Thanks. All right, Galatians chapter 3, we're starting at verse 19. But let's go back, always to give a bit of context, let's go back to 15, which we covered last time. And we're continuing on in, in this today. So Galatians chapter three fifteen, 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is, Christ. What I am saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why then, why the law then? was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be, for if the law had been given, for if a law had been given which was able to impart life, and righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we'll stop there. We'll go nineteen through twenty-two this morning. And we've finally gotten to the question that that they've been trying to that that uh, the Apostle Paul has been trying to answer up to this point um, and that is, well, if if the law isn't this means of salvation, then what's its purpose? So he's going to spend some ink uh, addressing that question, why then the law? So if justification is by faith alone, the question is why the Mosaic Covenant, why the laws, why the sacrifices, why did all those things get instituted? And um, in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives three reasons as to why the law came in. Um, We'll look at uh, basically the first and uh, the second today, but it goes on, the passage goes on, and gives another purpose, but the three purposes, it was given to deal with transgressions, it was given to deal with sins, okay, what, um, not, not in a justifying sense, but to deal with the, the um, uh, sins committed, and then second of all, it was given because it condemns all men, it puts everybody in the same boat so to speak, right? It condemns all men because all men fall short of the glory of God. And then number three, the law leads to Christ. So it is a a goad. It instigates us in its condemnation to look for a Savior, and therefore it leads to Christ. That was the purpose of the law. It It was not ever meant to be a means of salvation, right? One will be justified by the works of the law. That has always been the case. That has been the case uh, from, from the beginning. Um, from the beginning of the covenant of grace with mankind. Right? Genesis 3.15. And that promise. And then the outworking of that promise to, um, through the covenants of God. And so verse 19, notice there's a word there. It was added. What was added? The law was added because of transgression. Notice it doesn't say the law replaced or came in place of or overturned what came before. It says was added to those previously ratified covenants, right? He's been talking about that and he's been talking about Abraham. And, and so... Um, It was added, okay, because of transgressions. And then this strange statement, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Well, that's a mouthful right there, right? Ordained through angels, right? Um, Calvin says, says this, he says, If we were all healthy explaining why it was added because of transgressions. He said, if we were all healthy, we would have no need of medicine. But man's intemperance means that there will always be diseases, and therefore remedies must be sought out. The existence of so many civil laws bears testimony to the fact that we are totally evil and depraved, and therefore need to be restrained and harnessed. Right, the the reason we have so many laws is because we're so unrestrained, right? So law comes in, the law of God comes in because we're unrestrained. I mean, we're we're, you know, we, we're unrestrained in giving ourselves to sin, and so um, the law then harnesses us. And so it does these things. How does it act as our harness? The law defines our sins as transgression. Okay? Your sins are transgressions. It's a... You, sin is law-breaking. Right? Sin is not just like some sort of... You're not on the same vibe as God. Right? No, it's... He's given a rule. You've broken the rule. Right? Sin is law-breaking. And it's transgression of something positively that's been stated. Right? And that is the law. Okay? Um, The law defines righteousness, and so the law then defines our sins as law-breaking. The law, particularly, now, when I say law, don't just think of moral law, right? What what types of law are there given in the Mosaic Covenant? Okay, ceremonial. What's the ceremonial law? temple order the the um anything having to do with the cult of israel like the the religious worship right the sacrifices the holy days the holiness rules that separate israel from the gentiles right the the um shellfish cloth with two different you know whatever you call it fibers you would know. Um, and so that's ceremonial. And there's one other kind of law there's moral to ceremonial, and what's the other? And what's judicial law? Chirp, chirp. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the judicial law is an application of the moral law to Israel as a nation, right? All the the, the governmental structure, judicial laws, things that clearly have to do with them and uh, bringing civil order to the society. So, so, when we're talking here about the law of Moses, we... You know, the broadness of that means those three types of law. But thinking specifically of the ceremonial law, the law provides for transgressions, remember, through the sacrificial system. Right? The law was added because of transgressions. Remember, that's the first statement here. Well, part of the law that was added was the ceremonial, and that had specifically to deal with sins, right? Right? What did you do? When you sinned, you made a sacrifice, right? When you sinned, you put your, your head on that, that goat's head, and, and it was slaughtered, and blood was spilled, right? And so that ceremonial law had to do with sins. Now, it was deficient. Why was it deficient? had to be done over and over. That's just a simple truth of Scripture, right? It it had to be done every year. It had to be done over and over and over and over and over again. And then we go and study the book of Hebrews, and we, we learn that all those things ended because Jesus and his sacrifice were not deficient. It was not deficient at all. It perfectly atoned for sin, and so it was done once for all and done. But that doesn't negate the fact that because of the proliferation of sin, because of the, the weight of that on consciences, the Mosaic Law gave the sacrificial system so that there would be a picture of the moment, a shadow of the reality of Jesus Christ, right? A faithful Israelite may have known that, man, this seems to be deficient because I have to do this year after year after year after year. Why is that? You know? Why is that? And they might have then started thinking about the Messiah um, if they had truly understood Isaiah 53. Things like that. Okay? And so, those sacrifices point toward the one sacrifice, but but look, they were added because of transgression. They were added because because atonement was needed. Atoning sacrifice was therefore defined for the people. Transgressions came in and God said, okay, I'm going to show you what atonement is. That's why the ceremonial law comes in. And it's just a shadow of the reality of the one true sacrifice, right? But we wouldn't have known about atonement if all those sacrifices hadn't come in. I mean, imagine Jesus being the first atonement. Imagine there being no shadows that point to the reality, no picture of, of Christ, no, um, no gospel of atonement. Okay, and so that's one of the reasons the Mosaic law, Mosaic system came in. And then. The law provides for sin only on a temporary basis. The Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, only provides for sin on a temporary basis until the seed comes, he says. Right? So you got the sacrificial ceremonial system, and then the seed comes, and that's done away with because the once-for-all sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats was not adequate to put away sins, Hebrews 10.4 contrast with Christ but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God Hebrews 10 12 that's what Paul is getting at here but he has to give a reason why the mosaic law is there yeah it's because of sin it's because of transgression it's not because it was a way of salvation you you foolish Judaizers are you serious do you think it was ever given because of that no No. It was added, yes, to point toward Jesus' atonement, but it was not by the keeping of the law you shall be justified. The whole system of ceremonial law is fulfilled in Christ. Now, what is this about the agency of the angels in the giving of the law? Well, it seems that, given what Paul says, that the angels... Did something in the giving of the law, right? Um, here we have it. And if you go to Deuteronomy 33, 2, God says, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones, angels, At his right hand there was flashing lightning for them. So this is describing when God visits the people and gives them the law. God comes from the midst of myriads of angels to speak with them. Um, Psalm 68, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. So there's something about the agency of angels and the giving of the law there that that it seems as, I mean, it, it seems like the the angels accompanied God on the mount there and added to this the gloriousness of what was happening on Sinai. Acts 7:38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Right? So that is, that's Stephen speaking of Moses among the angels. Hebrews 2.2, 2, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received it, a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation?" So the angels were there at that covenant party, right? On that hill, that smoking, flaming fire, the voice of which they wanted to cover their ears and say, no, um, give us a mediator, but don't speak to us directly. Now, verse 20 comes in, and this is is a strange verse. It's a difficult verse. There are many interpretations and no consensus. He says, now a mediator is not for one or for one party only, whereas God is one. Now, a mediator is not for one, whereas God is one. Okay, and and the best best I think we can do, well, here's what. Here's the best I think we can do. The promise of justification was unilateral. It was unconditional. God covenanted it It was one. It was not an agreement between two parties. God came in and said, this is how it will be. The law was mediated because it was temporary and it was conditional. Okay? Um, Luther on this says, God offends no man and therefore needs no mediator. But we offend God and therefore we have need of a mediator, not Moses but Christ, who speaks far better things for us. And so again, there's no consensus on this verse. It's hard to see how it fits in the flow. I'm not sure we can do any better than what I said, and it probably still doesn't make sense to you. But let's move on. Verse 21, he asks the question, Is the law then contrary to grace? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God, right? And when he says promises of God, what is he talking about? He's talking about salvation by grace through faith alone, right? The promises of God, justification that comes on the basis of faith. That that is what he is talking about. And so he asks, is the law contrary to grace? It's a huge question, isn't it? It's a question that has been debated down through the history of the church, it's trying to figure out how the law and and the grace of God fit together. And if you go off the rails and dispense with one or the other, you've you've uh, you've done damage to the testimony of Scripture. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be, he says. Never, never, never. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Not. Not contrary to one another. Because the law is not contrary because it is not an alternate to grace. If it were alternate to grace, it would be contrary to grace, right? The law. If it came in and was like, okay, you were saved by grace, Abraham, but now Moses and on, you've got to work yourself into the kingdom of God. Well, then it would be contrary to grace, but it's not an alternative way of salvation. You just got to get that out of our head. We, we, we have, have to, it sounds like this is going on and off. I don't know. Um, we have to remember that the Pharisees wrongly interpreted the scriptures. Right? Come on, folks! I want you to wake up, please. I'm going to do jumping jacks, whatever I have to do. Do you want me to sing a song? Get somebody to play the who plays? Who, need a pianist up here. Ah. Oh. Dying. Come on. This is your salvation in Jesus Christ. If you don't understand this, you're going to hell. You Get it? If you don't understand this, you're going to burn in hell. It's important. I don't want you to burn in hell. I just don't. I want to see every one of you in the glorious presence of the Lord. Okay? I want to see you there. Believing in Jesus Christ. Trusting in salvation by grace. By faith in Him. Okay? But we all are always tempted to revert back to the law as a means of our justification. Don't you feel that? And the way you do it is to say, well, I'm going to think of three rules that I can keep tenaciously. Three easy things. And I'm going to stick to them and then God's going to owe me. We all do that. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to pray as soon as I wake up and I'm going to wash my dishes as soon as I get done with dinner. And I'm going to take a shower every day. And I'll be righteous and smell good. Right? And the kitchen will be clean. And no one will be able to look at me and say, he's a slob. Right? We make these little laws, right? We, can't, we, we, we make fun of the. The Pharisee, you know, who's boasting about tithing, mint. But we tithe our mint, don't we? We tithe our mint. We, we and we tithe so that God might, might owe us. Not because we ought to tithe mint as an act of faith, but we do it because we think that God will then owe us. You know or or think of think of returning to the ceremonial law, you know, basing your diet on the ceremonial law, avoiding shellfish. whoa, oh, that's so righteous. I mean no one really likes it anyway. It's gross. I mean it's like cracking its joints it's not it's not muscle, it's just I don't know it's weird I like. I like lobster. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I like lobster. If if we think that's, you know, we do that. We do these little things. And then suddenly we're in the situation where, where we are proclaiming to our own hearts and to the world that the law is what will get us saved. In little things. And Paul says, no, never, ever. That is not how you're righteous. You're righteous by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But your flesh doesn't like to rest in faith. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. There he says it, right? If the law could impart life, if it could save, if you could just keep rules and be saved, be justified, perfectly carry out the law of God, well then, yeah, righteousness would have come that way. But what's the problem? You're not just sinners, right? You are, by nature, children of wrath. You are born in sin. It's it's organically a part of you by your connection with Adam, right? You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, it says in Ephesians 2. You're dead. And so if you think you can be alive by doing works when you're just lifeless and dead, um, you're deluded, right? So here, if, if, a, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. If a law had been given which was able to impart life, the implication is the law was never given in order to impart life. It wasn't. Now, this is hard for covenant children to accept. Covenant children have been under the law for their whole lives. Their parents have said, this is what's godliness, this is what's not. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Would you stop, please? We're going to discipline you because you did this and you didn't do that. And we so often, that's the only approach we have with our children. We never say to them at some point, you know what? Christ died for your sins and it doesn't matter what you did. And if you think me giving the law as a standard of righteousness is me saying to you that unless you keep these laws, you're not saved. You've missed it. You've missed it. Yes, I have to discipline you. That is what the Lord has called me to do. And there's a purpose in discipline. There's a purpose in, in um, in the law as a a way of living in a godly manner before God, but it is not your justification. And so you have to preach the gospel to your children. You have to make sure that they understand that it is by faith that they are saved. And if they don't believe in Jesus, then their works are heaping up condemnation upon them and perhaps even deluding them into thinking that they're good Christians, right? I mean, part of the reason we discipline our kids is to show them they're just terrible sinners as we are, right? And we have to often say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Just like the Pharisees, and Jesus said, you know, don't do what they do, but listen to say. Right? I'm a hypocrite. I know what's right. The Word of God is right. But, um, you know, so we, we have to do that discipline work, and the purpose of that is so that our kids understand that they're sinners. But if we stop there and don't ever say, and all of your sins can be removed from you, If you confess your sins, God is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Gone. Just like that. So are you going to believe? Come to Christ. Come to Christ. So the law is not contrary. It is not an alternative to justification by faith. If the law came in to destroy that kind of justification, the justification by faith, an established justification based upon personal merit, it would have been contrary to the promises. Law does not abolish promise, and promise does not abolish the law. Both ways. There's a purpose in the law, but the law does not abolish the promise. The promise being you'll be saved by grace through faith. Verse 22, But the Scripture has imprisoned, boxed in. You know, the word word in the Greek really is imprisoned. The Scripture, and by the Scripture there, I think it's pointing to all of the law, right? The law has imprisoned everybody under sin. So what does the law do? The purpose of the law is to condemn you. Right? What does the Apostle Paul say in, in, in Romans 7? What did the law do? Yeah? How specifically? Come on. Longer answers, more developed. Give me more, Greg. What does he say? Describe Romans 7. Yes. And then what happened? He was like coveting all the time. It revealed, it condemned him. The law came in and exposed him for who he was, right? He wouldn't have known coveting unless the law had told him not to covet. You know, you know we're wicked when somebody's, somebody's you're not thinking about doing something and somebody says, don't do that. And all you can think about is, oh man, I want to do that now. They've told me not to. I mean, that's, what, that's the function of the law. It outs us. It shows us who we are. And, there, and that is true for everyone save the Son of God. That's true of everyone. No matter, I mean, that's true of the Dalai Lama. Okay? That's true of the most righteous person you can think of. And even the most self-righteous person you can think of. Right? It is true. The law condemns all. It deals with sin by revealing sin, by increasing transgression. It does not and never was meant to impart life. Right? It increases transgression. It condemns. It tells you, you, you you are... far away from the holiness of God. That's not, that's not a wicked thing. That's the purpose for which God gave it, to bring to conviction, to show us our depravity, to show us who we are outside of Christ. The Judaizers taught differently. They claimed that the keeping of the law would justify that it would impart life, that it was, would save, right? Yeah, grace, but also circumcision. Yeah, grace, but also shellfish and not eating it, right? And, and grace, but, but these, these few things. And this comes in, this, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit here says, Never, no, not the law. And so if you go read Luther, if you go read Luther on, on his commentary on Galatians, he just casts disdain on the law. I mean, he's just like, it kills, it kills, it condemns, it's terrible, it's, it's awful, right? And he just goes after it, and he's, he's excoriating it at points. And he's just, but, but why is he doing that? Because he's doing that as he's writing a commentary on Galatians, which is about justification. And so when it comes to justification, the law has no role. None other than, other than to condemn us, right? The law has no role. Um, Calvin said, God granted us his law in order to pierce us through with a sword, as it were, and leave us mortally wounded to constrain us to take refuge in him. Since God intended by the law to kill us, it cannot have been sent for our justification, Therefore, those who seek life and salvation therein are deceiving themselves and mistakenly claim that God has promised it to them. The Mormons seek their justification based upon works. And of course, it's stupid works, right? It's like, don't don't intake caffeine. Easy. I mean, for for some of us. David, you're doomed. Don't ever become a Mormon on that basis. But they do this. They're heretics, right? They're they're legalists. And we could name other similar uh, so-called Christian um, sects that return to the shadows of the Old Testament and think therein is righteousness. Meanwhile, they neglect the glory of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. The simplicity of faith. The power of faith. They miss the law. Calvin goes on, he says, what then was the function of the sacrifices? Those ceremonial laws. Surely, to display before our eyes that if man depends upon his own efforts, he will be damned. And if the sacrifices were not convincing enough, then experience itself would teach this lesson. We must all look within ourselves and discover what we really are. Then we must seek to live according to the perfect standards required by us in the Holy Scripture. At this point, we shall discover that all that is, in fact, required is that we embrace God's promise of mercy. That's it. And add nothing to it. This is not the only place that that the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, speaks in such a way, right? Romans 3, 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Same thing he's saying in Galatians. It's just shutting, imprisoning everybody up under sin. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then he goes on from there to these glorious truths. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a... What's the word? gift, justified as a gift. Some of you want different gifts. Some of you want the gift of worldly wealth. Some of you want clout. Some of you want popularity. Some of you, as a gift, would rather get a heaping load of money, prosperity, some of you want Omaha Steaks. An elk. That's, that falls down and you don't have to track it at all after you shoot it. <laughs> some of us, and I won't say you, I include myself in this, some of us get mixed up in what we desire. We want gifts. We want certain things. We want a new pair of shoes. But, brothers and sisters, everything you could possibly want in this world compared to the gift of faith in Jesus Christ and eternal salvation, it should just make us sort of be really ashamed of of the things we want to receive as gifts. Shouldn't it? Eternal life. Life eternal. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace, not by our works, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was demonstrated... This was to demonstrate his righteousness because, in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Where then is boasting? Oh, man. It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God will also justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, he is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Right? And then chapter four goes on to talk about Abraham and his justification by faith alone. Right? So th- this, is, this is so important that we understand this. If we don't understand this, we don't understand the fundamental doctrine of Christianity that you are saved by faith alone. It's bodacious. It's a bodacious claim. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Every other religion in the the history of the world has had some performance of some act that would make you righteous enough to be worthy of not receiving salvation as a gift, but receiving salvation as what is your due. Okay? Not Christianity. Christianity. It's stupendously gracious of God to do this. And so what does that mean? At the end of the day, you say, I believe in Jesus. Jesus, cleanse me from my sins. I'm a horrible person. Would you please cleanse me from my sins? There is no, where else shall we go? You know, there's only salvation in Jesus Christ. So God save me. That's faith. And that is all it takes, And if you have that faith, it's been given to you as a gift. <laughs> you can't even take credit for believing. And so the condemnation of the Scripture, the condemnation of the law, necessitates the absolute need for the promise of God. The law condemns but does not provide a solution. The solution was always there, even before the law, by faith. Right? Abraham, 430 years earlier. And so are you convinced by the law that you are a sinner? Then the law is serving its purpose. And if you're convinced that you are a sinner, are you crying out to God that he would be gracious to you? That's faith. That's, That's all faith is. Going back to God and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Time and time again. All right. Sorry for my anger and zeal earlier, but when I see yawns and eyes closed, it just sometimes hits me the wrong way. But pray that your pastor is a patient man, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy to us in Christ. What glory, what joy what joy that we have a covering in him, that we can, can he is our hiding place, that he propitiated you, Father, and we by faith become uh, clothed in righteousness, that we had nothing to do in the earning of. Lord, thank you for this grace to us. May we loudly proclaim the gracious God and his glory to those around us and and call people to cease striving and know that you are God pray this in Jesus name amen